You're listening to the National Gallery of Ireland podcast. I think this is a wonderful night. I really do. And I do remember because I was in attendance uh, 25 years ago and the place was buzzing. But, I mean, apart from the joy of having the Caravaggio, the story behind all of this is just magnificent. And people have written about it and made films about it and so on. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Father Noel Barber, because really you're the hero of the piece here. Tell me how it started. Well, I must challenge you on the word hero of the piece. The hero of the piece is Sergio Benedetti, (laughs) and my part is quite small in all this. But it came to us in Leeson Street in the 1930s through Dr. Lee Wilson, who gave it to Professor Tom Findlay, as a type of thanks for being her friend, philosopher and guide over rather turbulent years for her. So that's how it came. Right. And I'll come back to her later because I think her story is very, very interesting too. But hadn't somebody looked at at the painting at one stage and said, you know, we should do something with that and was told, nah, the, the frame is worth more than the picture. I don't think anyone had put it that crudely, but shall we say there was I no read it. <laughs> yes. And therefore, you know, it's probably false. Yeah, possibly so, yes. Uh, but um, no, I, but there was no enthusiasm to have much done with it. And I moved because I was appointed a superior of Decent Street at the time, and I had to renovate the house and also change its purpose to an extent. So I said, if I'm painting walls and all that type of stuff, I should certainly do something about this magnificent painting, which was bearing the dirt of the years, if you like to say, but which obviously was magnificent. And also, we believed that was a Hunthorst. So we believed that we were dealing with a painting by an outstanding painter, but that needed cleaning and renovation. Right. So did you automatically think the gallery or... Thought of going to somebody else? I thought initially of going to someone else. It was, that wasn't a brainwave, it was a brainstorm, in fact. And I was wisely counseled, no, go to the gallery. And I knew Brian Kennedy, and I went to him about I said, I think we're in possession of a Hornpost. Um, would you be interested in restoring it? It's really, it's gri- rather grimy. And he said, oh, we certainly would be interested in doing it, provided it's a Hornpost. And the only thing we would ask in return would be that it'd be available for exhibitions, which I thought was a very, very good deal. Right. And so he said, I'll, I'll come around with the curator and have a look at it, and we'll decide whether we should renovate it and clean it up or not. So he came one morning with him, Sergio Benedetti, and we brought him into the room, showed him it, and Benedetti said, absolutely nothing. Um, except." Was there tension in the room? No, no, there wasn't any tension. No, no. But he said, no, we should restore it, and that was it. And then we arranged to have it moved to the gallery, and thereby the whole thing got underway. And I used to come down here from time to time, and one had the marvellous experience of seeing colours standing out which you hadn't seen, details standing out which you hadn't seen, and the thing gradually formed this beautiful object that we see now. And then one day... Brian Kennedy said he was pass- he'd be passing by the house and he said he'd like to pop in and see me. So I said, he's going to come in and tell me that it's not a home post, it's some <laughs> Victorian copy. 
So he came in, and I got up to welcome him in my office, and he said to me, sit down, Noel, you can't take what I'm going to tell you standing up. So that confirmed my dark suspicion. <laughs> so he said, it's not a Honfors, but it's a Caravaggio. Well, I knew sufficiently, sufficient about painting as to know it was a huge thing, and I was more or less, to use the term of an old song, bewitched, bothered, and bewildered right. by initial reaction. How, the, how we happen to be in possession of something so valuable culturally and materially, financially, in every way. Right. And then the next thing that came to my mind, that its home should certainly be in the National Gallery of Ireland. Right. Well, uh, when, when did you um, hear about it, Raymond? I heard about it the afternoon um, Brian and Sergio came back from Leeson Street. And they didn't quite tell me to sit down but they said, we have something very interesting. And if it turns out to be what we think it is, it could be a long-lost masterpiece. So Sergio then filled me in, and he had chapter and verse. Even on the afternoon he came in, uh, because it was talking about the right person in the right place at, at the, the right, right time. time. Yeah. Uh, because you know Sergio had studied in Rome and had taken a particular interest of the uh, artists of the Baroque period in Rome, of which Caravaggio is one of the standout artists. And he had a small library, you know, devoted to this, and he knew all the experts, he knew Sir Dennis Mann and people like that. And uh, I think he always had in the back of his mind, wouldn't be nice someday, even in the wilderness of Dublin, on the edge of Europe, that I might find a masterpiece. And uh, he was very excited... And, uh, did he say the C word? He you? did, yes. He knew, he knew. Yeah. Uh, he knew Longy, he, 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 as I said, he had chapter and verse. And he, we kind of had to figure out, what do we do? You know, well, it's one thing having an idea that we believe this is Caravaggio, yeah. but we can't go out and say, we think we have a Caravaggio. Uh, that would lead to all sorts of problems. Not that the other course didn't lead to its own problems. So we said, well, what we would need to do then is to research the painting and ideally bring it into the gallery because it would be difficult to research it at a distance and that we need to go back to uh, Father Barber and have a chat with him, uh, be up front and say, we think we have a long-lost masterpiece and would it be possible to bring the painting into the gallery uh, to allow us to check out its credentials right. and progress the matter. The critical element there, of course, was we didn't want to let the cat out of the bag, so all of this had to be quite why, why, confidential. Why didn't you? Because then you would have the situation whereby we were trying to research the painting in full view without the ability to do it at our own pace, because the gallery was a three-ring circus then. Uh, the refurbishment was going on to the bite wing. Uh, we were sending exhibitions to the United States and Japan. There was just so much going on. It was going to take time, and we didn't want to be under the... Microscope. We were under the microscope enough as it was. This would have been just maybe too much. And uh, Noel very generously agreed to let the painting come in. And uh, over a period of some three years... On stolen time, Sergio would go off to Rome and dig a little deeper, find out a bit more, and all of that. Because as it didn't, the gallery was except we had a skeleton staff then 
of, I think, 40 people in all. Yeah. Most of whom were security attendants. Right. And yet we were, you know, planning all sorts of things. So uh, Sergio was deeply involved in preparing the exhibition for the States and doing other work. It wasn't the only thing on his, on his desk. Was there a mad excitement about the whole thing or anxiety? Did you, when did you tell your fellow Jesuits... Well, fairly soon after, I heard from Brian Kennedy that morning, but it was to be absolutely secret. So we imposed on ourselves a Trappist vow of silence, <laughs> which we actually kept uh, for the year until it actually broke in the news. But we, we didn't even discuss it among ourselves. It was just an absolute silence about it. And when it, it actually wasn't... It didn't become known publicly uh, through any Irish media. It was in Italian. Yes, uh, and the Irish media were very upset, as you can appreciate. And we were upset for the Irish media, because that was not how it was meant to happen. Yeah. We were looking forward to at last going to the Irish media with a good news story. Yeah. I mean, in 1992, uh, Anne Cruikshank wrote an extensive article in Apollo magazine about how bad things were at the gallery. We said, no, it's not that bad we have this year. You know, <laughs> we have something very special coming up and we just had to live with the, with the negatives while, you know, until we were in the right place. But there was an Italian journalist who worked for the Messaggero in Rome. And, of course, Sergio couldn't do his research without talking to people, if you follow, including Sudanese man and others. And uh, it leaked out from Rome. And fair dues to Fabio Isman, he did his homework. And then, without telling anybody, he published it, and it was a very well-researched... He, did, he didn't double-check with you first? No. Because then, if we knew it was breaking, we, we might have told oh, the Irish... of course, yeah. You know, so, yeah. Uh, and he has continued uh, being a kind of... Uh, doing a lot of reporting on Caravaggio issues, because there always are Caravaggio issues. It's an industry, and uh, so he's a very noted uh, uh, journalist in the arts world in Italy. Right. When you find something like that, and of course all sorts of people have wild dreams, uh, does it then become contentious? It can become contentious, of course. I mean, there were the issues... I mean, was, his, was Sergio's word accepted universally? It's never universally. There's a painting in Rome uh, owned by a dealer called Bigetti, and it was a painting that was ex- exhibited in Milan in 1951, uh, an exhibition organised by Roberto Longhi, who was the great champion of Caravaggio, who rediscovered him and brought him into uh, the public space. And he was an extraordinary man, Longhi, a highly respected scholar, connoisseur. And he had the Sinini painting, because of course our painting was not known. And that was exhibited at that exhibition. And it was his view... It can't be the original. It just isn't good enough. You know, come back 50, 40 years and be jetted. The Sanini painting is the original and starts to argue that. And there is a whole debate about Caravaggio, about the authenticity of paintings, and particularly around the issue of copies or replicas. Yeah. And I, I think uh, more. Richard Spear will talk oh, right. eloquently yeah. on this subject uh, later this afternoon. He's got a wonderful article in the Burlington magazine, which has just been published, and I think he's been involved with the two paintings which are at the Musée Jacques-Marc-André. He's seen them, the two Magdalens, which is also up for debate, 
One is considered authentic, the other is considered a copy. So there's no end to, to these discussions, right. arguments uh, on the authenticity. Uh, and can you have two authentic paintings, or can you only have one, and all of that. And we know from the records that a copy was made in 1626 by Giovanni Attilio on commission from the Mattei to paint a copy. Yeah. So, you know, and, and it was common when paintings were sold out of collections that a copy would be kept, right. if you follow. So yeah. that, that was not unusual. But the problem is, if the copy is a superb copy, then you're really into difficult territory. Is it or isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the best case I can remember is Rembrandt, wonderful Rembrandt self-portrait, um, I think it was in the, in the Hague, and there was a copy, an inverted copy, in Frankfurt. And when they did the Rembrandt exhibition self-portrait show seven or eight years ago, it flipped. The Frankfurt painting was elevated to being the original, and the Moritz House painting was demoted to being a copy. And but pardon me for being so crass, but I presume money comes into it if it's the original or a copy. Yes. <laughs> Come on, give me an idea. Well, that's the debate in Rome, and in fact, the, the, the painting that Bigetti had purchased from, from Florence is sequestered by the Italian authorities at the moment, because there's the whole issue of what's going on here. Is this uh, dishonest dealing? You know, it's a very murky world yeah. where people can lose a lot of money. Uh, and there are fakes and all sorts of things going around. So it bec- there's a lot of money in the art world. Yeah. Uh, and that's a very sensitive issue. Yeah. And at this level, at a Caravaggio, just a ballpark figure, what, what kinds of money would you be talking about? You're talking billions, of course. You're talking. But we try not to talk about Anything that. Yeah, so, and, yeah. and no one, you Anything know, so just, shabby. Just not to talk about yeah. uh, although it was interesting you mentioned the... Uh, the frame was worth more than the painting. Yeah. If you go upstairs to look at the little exhibition around the painting, we know it sold in, in Edinburgh for eight guineas, and then we think it resold for five guineas. And the little receipt from Hicks here in Dublin, who restored the frame for Mary Lee Wilson in 1924, is 20 pounds. So the frame was double the price of the painting, just to restore it, not to buy it. Right, there you go. Um, this was a big decision for the Jesuits, wasn't it? What to do? Yes, it was a decision of some I mean, size. It, yes. To refer back to the millions, you know, you yes. could have. Mm. Well, it was a really a very important, obviously a very important decision, because if it hadn't been put on permanent loan to the gallery, I was indefinite loan, a very important point that a man in the audience made with, to me in the in the past, it would have gone to the Getty or some Japanese. So it would have been lost to the country, and that would have been an appalling loss. So therefore, although it was money in that sense, yes. at the same time there was a higher value, the cultural value and the value to the nation. And was it, was it hotly argued, or was it an instinctive thing? Um, well, with me it was instinctive, and I think the superior at the time provincial superior who's here this evening. I think with him, it was the same. But it doesn't go with the territory of provincial superiors, that attitude. 
So we were fortunate to have a person who had the right attitude at the time. And so um, I was, from the moment I heard it, and from the moment I knew where we had a Honthorst, I had no doubt that that was for Ireland. And what's more, we had an uncharitable trust. It wasn't something that we could alienate. How do you mean? Can you explain that? Yes, that we didn't, we didn't get it to pass on as a good. We got it as a gift, to be cherished as a gift. Right, yeah. And so we've had, we were more or less, you might say, forced to do what we ought to do. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it can be useful. Uh, come back to the gift and how all that came about and the story of Mary Lee Winston. Well, she was in a member of a Cork family, a very well-known Catholic solicitor's family in Cork, no, Cork County. And um, she married a Captain Lee Wilson of the Dublin, of the Irish police, the RIC. And he went off, they married in 1915, and he was in the war, but came back and was in Dublin in 1916. And he was responsible for looking after a certain number of prisoners. And it is alleged the allegation has now been more hotly contested to have maltreated and to have humiliated prisoners of war after some who had surrendered. And as it was, he became a marked man that the IRA were going to get him. And it figures in one the film. But anyway... That because was, there was a film made about exactly. it. Exactly. Yes, yeah. And um, so he was murdered down in Gory, where he was the, the chief of police for Wexford in 1920, I think. And um, after that, Lee Wilson was never really her full self, in so that she was convinced that he was not, he did not maltreat prisoners. Now, to a certain extent, nowadays, there's some backing for that. Yeah. But in that time, there was no backing. And this really worried her. And she seemingly went to Father Finlay for consolation, for advice, for consul- and for spiritual help in her troubles. And then one day, she must have turned up in a truck and gave, her, gave him this painting as thanks for all the help she got. But it, what was interesting, uh, I thought, apart from so many other things, he persuaded her. I mean, this was 1924? Was it 1924 that he persuaded her to go to Trinity to study medicine? No, it was after he died that he went to. Ah, right. That oh, she put herself to college and became a consultant in the children's hospital. Yeah, because she went to Trinity. Yes. I thought all Catholics were not allowed to go to Trinity. There were always ways around things. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you had a Jesuit father advising you. Yes. And that may have been Father Tom Finley. It's yes. called. Jesuitical thinking. Well, depending what term, how you define Jesuitical, in a lovely career, a hostile way. Uh, no, well, uh, obviously it was wonderful that she did, and she became a very, very uh, distinguished um, ch- child pediatrician. Yes. Yeah. That's in the- it. She was a formidable lady, and I believe I was only talking this morning to the archivist here, and she has very interesting information from the the College of Physicians on Lee Wilson. Really? Yes. So it's worth looking up that. In other words, you're not going to tell us. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So 
how, how did you go about this delicate business? I mean, presumably you people in the gallery were saying, we'd like to keep this, you yeah. know. Um, but clearly you were dealing, you were pushing an open door in one sense. But how did it come about? Oh, gosh. I think it was, in a sense, a process of osmosis. It, it didn't happen kind of overnight or whatever. It was a progressive because the relationship over the period, the toing and froing, uh, the progression of the situation and the development of the situation. I mean, obviously, at the end of it all, if it worked out and we had confirmed it was a Caravaggio, the next issue would be what would happen. It could be put it on exhibition, as Noel had said earlier. Uh, but would that be a permanent exhibition or uh, whatever? Of course, our wish would always be could we have it for loan? Because gallery do take paintings on long term loan. But there's a difference between long term and indefinite or yeah, would you, would you permanent, permanent yes. Would you clarify that for me? Yeah, permanent is giving it over permanently, which is the same as alienating it. Mm. Our indefinite loan means that theoretically, we, we, not theoretically, but actually we are the owners, mm. one, and two, theoretically we could take it back. Mm. That would be a rather dangerous thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> don't think this gentleman here would be overly pleased. No, no, no. But there was something about it, and it's probably because of the story and that it was like a little bit of detective work and secrecy and cloak and dagger and all that. It really caught the imagination of Irish people, didn't it? Well, it was an extraordinary story. I mean, a best-selling novel came out of it. There is a movie script. There is actually a yes. movie script. And it became world news. Yes. It was an international event in the art world which was wonderful for the gallery of because course, it, yeah. it promoted the gallery's profile internationally and put it on another level. Uh, and, you know, the gallery has benefited that ever since. Mm. Uh, but it also promoted kind of the issue of it's not just a collection, but there's scholarship, expertise, mm, yes. competencies. Yes, of follow. course. And yeah. that was important for us as well as an institution for us to show that the National Gallery of Ireland wasn't just a dumb show, that it had this capacity to work at the same level as its international peers. Yeah. And uh, that it could, you know, authenticate paintings and so on, although you never really do it in isolation. That's always a teamwork, and you, 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 you talk to the uh, peer colleagues internationally whose opinions you would respect and seek yeah. to see that they share that opinion about it. Yeah. And then be prepared if they don't, you know, then you, you've got to kind of consider what your options are after that. Right. We were very fortunate in this instance. So Dennis Mann had been a friend of the gallery since the 1940s and probably since before. There's correspondence where he already indicates he would leave some of his paintings and he would like to leave his library. And he was among the most preeminent scholars on Caravaggio, so we had a direct line to him. Yeah. And quite coincidentally, as we were researching the painting, we also put on the exhibition Caravaggio and his followers at the National Gallery, right. uh, where we had gotten the Supper of Mels by Caravaggio on loan. So when we brought Dennis in to have a look at the painting to see what his opinion was, yeah. we had the two paintings side by side, painted for the same patron within a year of each other. So you're not looking at an early Caravaggio and a late. You're looking at, you know, are these by the same hand? It's much easier if you've got two coeval paintings rather than whatever. And virtually in milliseconds, he said. And that was a very important moment because that meant now that uh, 
we had the support of one of the preeminent scholars yeah. uh, on the issue of authentication. Okay, who spoke that night, and I'll come mm. to that. But he did speak that night. <laughs> he did. He, did, yes. <laughs> uh, he spoke a lot, really. Yes, he did. <laughs> but um, so, I mean, I got the impression at the time that people that had never darkened the door of the gallery were hugely enthused, and it brought all sorts of people in. Well, reputedly at that time, we did finish up with visitor figures of a million, but maybe the equipment was mis- it wasn't as sophisticated as we have today. Although there, there's, I, there's precedent. Well, no, there's for the Gardaí. Yeah, although there's, there's other, <laughs> interesting, other international institutions which have also got the question they're checking, the visitor checking. Yes, it, it did. It brought a lot of people in. And uh, there was great excitement among them, and still is. I mean, it is still the go-to picture when people come in. They have to see the Caravaggio and the story, because they've heard about it, they've read about it, and it's mythical. Right. Uh, And on the the night, it was such a coincidence that it was Michael D. who was um, the minister, wasn't it? Yes. And he nearly missed the boat, because there was a debate going on in the House, and he had to stay as minister. And we were there. We had 2,000 people in the building, 1,000 people downstairs in the showroom and 1,000 people upstairs in the Baroque Gallery. And we couldn't wait any longer. Jenna's man was going to fall asleep. (laughs) Uh, So we were ready to press the button. And just as we we had said we can't wait any longer, Michael Key comes racing up the stairs breathless because he desperately wanted to be there, just as he was very happy to be here this morning. Uh, But the problem on the evening was having that huge number was, so Dennis decided not to make opening remarks, but to give a lecture. Nobody was seated. He went on for an hour. (laughs) Downstairs were fine, because they didn't have to pretend. (laughs) And that all... That drinking and singing and talking came up from downstairs. And upstairs we were all trying to say, how long will this go on? He had ten pages. It, it should have been done the next day at the symposium. but he, he There was a symposium the yes, next day? There was, yes, uh, with scholars from all over the world talking about Caravaggio. Oh, tell us a bit about that. Well, that was a little, it, it was wonderful. We had Minu Gregori and we had uh, Francesca Capelletti, who was also involved in the story, and uh, Herbert Rotkin and many, many other scholars. Uh, the only problem was I mentioned that there was a lot going on at the gallery and we didn't have the lecture theatre available. So we had to have the symposium in the showroom. The problem was it was a temporary arrangement and the slide projector would not function properly. <laughs> After every second slide, the slide projector jammed. And yours truly used to have to jump up on the stage, try and find an anecdote to pass the time <laughs> while we could fish the slide out of the projector with a whatever, and get back at it again. And yeah, it was an anxious kind of day, uh, holding our breath. The people who rented the slide projector said that was only because they were using cheap slides. <laughs> so, uh, yes, but we survived. We survived, the bu- yeah. The but yeah, and Claudio Cernati from Rome uh, was there. He was the head of the superintendents in Rome. Uh, and, and that and did Rome they is always share? critical when you're dealing with Caravaggio. You can't get away from Rome. Did they, did they share the excitement? Oh, yeah. Were they delighted for you? Oh, or yes. were they 
Well, the art world loves these kinds of things. I mean, yeah. why wouldn't they? You know, it's, 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 a, it's an event. Yeah. And people come because they're excited, but they're also curiosity. They want to, sell it, want to see it in the flesh. A lot of people have only seen photographs. They will have given views, but they may not have had the opportunity to see it in the flesh. This was the moment. Right. You know, when yeah. uh, uh, the acid test, yeah. and that's the function of exhibitions, that, uh, <coughs> like with the two Magdalens in Paris at the moment, is to have things actually there together. Just as when we had Sir Dennis with the Supper of Emmaus and the taking of Christ yeah. together. For that, it, it, it created a basis on which to really, you know, check, is it by the same hand? Yeah. Uh, there was another kind of coincidence in the whole thing because that priest, Father Finlay, that was so kind to her, his great Grand-nephew. Grand-nephew. Mm. Grand-nephew. Both chair of the board of the gallery. And I, on behalf of the society, gave the painting to him on indefinite loan. So it was a lovely circle. Absolutely. That it came through with Finley and it was given to the gallery through Finley there. And did you, did you know of those connections at the time? Oh, yes. Oh, very much so. Oh, you yes. did? Yeah. But that wasn't something that gradually dawned on you. Oh, no, well, once I knew that in Bill Finley was the chair, I knew that he was the grand nephew of... So I knew this lovely arrangement right. from the beginning. And that must have been very, very nice for him. Oh, yeah, it was lovely for him. Oh, it was <clears throat> really, indeed, rightly. Mm. The interesting thing you mentioned that Tom, man, Dennis Mann, I remember Brian Kennedy emphasised very strongly with me that no matter what evidence came up, unless Mann said... It's a Caravaggio. It was, nothing would occur. It wouldn't be. All in. bets were off. All bets were off. Yeah. He said that. Of course, all bets weren't really? off. But they wouldn't have been, would they? Well, uh, well, you'd have to think long and hard about it. Yeah. You know, but because you know, that's the whole issue of getting a, enough people whose opinions are respected yeah. to concur. He also brought me round on the evening of the exhibition of that, connected with the unveiling. And he, we had a copy of the painting in Odessa, mm. which generally had been claiming to be have the original, that this was the original. And the man said to me, um, you know, that man was a marvellous painter, but he had one great weakness, and it was a great strength of Caravaggio's fingers. And he said to me, look at those fingers, they're just like sausages. <laughs> I, it passed over my head, I didn't see them as sausages. Right. Well, for you personally... And for your fellow priests, for example, were you somebody that was immersed in art before of, of, all of this, or did that bring you into a world? Well, it brought me very much a step further, but we were very fortunate, I think, our generation of Jesuits, that we had Donald O'Sullivan as our master and officers, who became chairperson of the Arts Council. And he, I think, instilled in all of us a knowledge and an appreciation of art. And he was in Decent Street, of course, and was sitting under the Caravaggio, but didn't notice it. But his explanation of that was actually quite clear. He was a man who had a terrific understanding and a great appreciation of medieval art. And he didn't have much time for in between until the modern era. And then he had a great interest in the modern era and appreciation. So had he been told of other Caravaggio... He wouldn't have been, wouldn't have moved him very much. <laughs> Amazing. Well, it well. might have, you know, it might, might have. Under the certain. Now, tell me about the Beatles, not the singing Beatles. The... No, I think Raymond would be better on that. Okay. 
Beat yeah, no, no. Uh, as you say, be careful what you ask for because you might get it. So we got this, thanks to Sergio's research, we, you know, and all of that, we, we, we were able to authenticate that the painting was by Caravaggio. But the story doesn't end there. And it was put on public display. But we had, uh, with the generous agreement of Noah, lent it to London, to Rome, no. um, Washington. Washington, and so on. Washington. And somewhere along the la- line, it had picked up this, this, this infection, in inverted commas. And in 1997, uh, one of my colleagues, Tina Roach, who was head of fundraising, was going around the, the gallery bringing a, protect, a prospective benefactor to help fund the Millennium Wing. And an elderly lady approached her and says, excuse me, ma'am, but I've just seen an insect crawl out of that painting. And uh, Tina just said, thank you very much, and continued. But Tina was very conscientious, and she went to Mairead McParland, who was our head of paper conservation, and Mairead, I think, is with us this evening, and uh, reported the matter to her. Now, if she had come to my office, I would almost certainly have ignored it. Insects on paintings, you know, flies and so on, you get them. You get fly spots on paintings. That's one of the things restorers have to deal with. Yeah. But Mairead came down and got the hanging crew to take the painting down to inspect it properly. And when they turned around, lo and behold, there was this infestation of biscuit beetle on the back of the canvas. Biscuit beetle. Biscuit beetle, yes. And they were chewing away at it. Uh, The larvae of the biscuit beetle eat adults. Biscuit beetles do not. They just fly around and uh, procreate. Whereas the beetles, the the, the larvae, are the, the issue. So Mairead gave the painting first aid and arrested, you know, any further deterioration. And, and, and what, what had happened? We don't know where it picked it up. Uh, it could have been in the gallery, but uh, our conservation department um, checked all the paintings in the vicinity and none of them had it, so it, it may have been picked up outside. It, it wasn't shared by any of the other paintings. And then it was dealt with ultimately by nitrogen narcosis which meant putting it in a big plastic balloon, filling the balloon with nitrogen, extracting all the oxygen, and leaving it there for three months because it couldn't survive without oxygen for three months, and that was the ultimate coup de grace. What a story. Yeah, I know. But, but, <coughs> it, the, it, I mean, the notion of beetles <laughs> eating whales. I mean, did you have a heart attack when you heard this? Well, what was surprised, shall we say? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> But they didn't go too hard on us, I have to say. <laughs> they weren't abused. And did they damage the painting? No, they, they, they didn't. With the old master paintings, very frequently, they're relined. The painting dries out and it starts to kind of weaken its attachment to the canvas. And the way to arrest that is get another canvas and put it on the back and then you put the glue between them and you press them together and the glue permeates the old and the new canvas and adheres to the paint to reattach the paint to the surface and that's simply so you you get rid of the old relining you know although you you would try to avoid that ideally right. yeah uh, because it's a stressful Mairead wants to say yes in the museum yeah and he was very excited we weren't excited, but he, he loved the little blighter. He thought that was great, and he had all the facts and figures about it. It can eat through lead. Oh, thank you. Anything else you've got to say? 
Uh, and you thought the story was charming. No, it wasn't. It was a horror story. Well, I mean, it was an adventure in both of your lives, wasn't it? It was. No, of course. I mean, uh, it was something you never expected, never anticipated. You always thought, like, it, it was somebody else, you know. But for once, uh, the spotlight shone on the gallery. And, and for, you, uh, for you and the community? Well, for, yes. For, oh, yes. It was a marvelous thing to become involved in, and a terrific, looking back over the 25 years, you know, it's, it was a great thing for the Jesuits to be able to ha- have the capacity to hand this over to the gallery and to the Irish people. Right. And that's, a, that's my lingering feeling about the whole thing. It was a great, a great thing to be involved in. For the nation and for the gallery, and hence for ourselves. And Indeed, and, and a very exciting oh, yes. journey. I mean, really, movies, books, yes. <laughs> more yes. to come. You never know, that painting just has an endless, whatever list of surprises that it can present you with. Okay, well, that's the scale, folks, that's the story of what happened. So, thank you very much indeed for <laughs> Thank you for listening to the National Diary of Ireland podcast.